0: Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. Welcome to episode 216 of the Sample Chapter Podcast. Hey, this is Jason. Today we are back with a wonderful writer who has a delightful first name that you might recognize. <laughs> You know, I don't know why that tickles me so much. Uh, I feel like such a kid. Anyway, (laughs) our guest today is Jason Rakulik. Uh, Jason has... uh, He's got quite the career in writing, uh, whether it's writing or working as a publisher. And uh, we're going to be hearing all about all of those aspects here coming up in the interview ahead. And Jason's a great guy that I really had a good time talking to. Uh, We're going to be discussing advice for newbie writers empathy for our characters uh working in publishing like jason did for a long time sticking it out with your writing and your stories and adding visual elements to our stories which goes hand in hand with jason's latest book hidden pictures and it's the book is full of pictures made by the characters within the story so that's a really cool thing and uh it's it's just a great interview uh, and, and hopefully wherever you're watching this right now, you'll be able to see, uh, I'm trying for the first time ever to add additional media to the episode. So probably it could be YouTube would be my best bet where you're going to be able to take a look at some of the other media. But if you can't see it, if you're like, you're listening to this on a podcast with, like on Apple iTunes or something like that uh then you can always uh, hop over to our social media site at facebook twitter instagram and you can see some of the uh some of the pictures that's included in the book that jason sent over and uh really worth your your uh, your look that way you can see what this uh character is uh coming up with it's really something else but it's a great interview it's a great chat and uh <laughs> i had a great time talking with jason uh he and i are From that same era uh, grew up around the same time so we had a lot of fun uh, just kind of chatting about a lot of that stuff that uh, we could both uh, relate to oh and I would be remiss if I didn't also mention Jason has his own game on his website so so make sure at the end of this you are clicking the link in the show notes for his website and uh, go check out that video game you got to do it on a computer uh, so you you can't do it on mobile but it's, it's worth your time. It's a, it's a fun little thing. <laughs> hey, real quick, I want to give a big shout out to Wayne Smith, who was a, is a listener of the show. And he wrote in a month ago requesting that I uh, reach out to Jason, uh, saying that uh, Jason's books are incredible. And yeah, Wayne, you are right. I, I had a really good time talking to Jason. So hopefully you enjoy this episode as much as I have if you are a listener you have somebody you would like to get on the show or maybe you're an author and you would like to be on the show just reach out to me on social media uh, facebook twitter instagram follow me there and you can reach out to me or you can contact the show via email at sample at gmail.com you can also leave me a voicemail by calling 660-851-1146 and uh, I'll make sure to play that on an upcoming episode. Uh, Real quick, I also want to make sure to thank our sponsor, Scrivener. They've been with us for a few years now and uh, we're having a great time with them as a sponsor of the show. It is the writing software that I use every day. So make sure you're listening to this advertisement to hear how you can save 20% on the amazing software. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers, like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application, and with tools like automatic backup, character maps, Project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard. You can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for sample chapter podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. All right, as always, thank you so much to Scrivener for sponsoring the show. I also want to thank Writers Block Coffee, they're an affiliate of the show meaning um, if you click the link in the show notes or if you go right over to writer's block coffee and uh, you use the coupon code sample chapter then the show gets a little bit of something that goes towards production costs writer's block coffee has three delicious flavors to choose from the writer's block blend there's also the uh, my personal favorite the whiskey barrel aged blend that is so, so good. It's got such a great smell to it. Uh, whenever you uh, brew a cup and you just sit there and hold that, oh gosh, it's it's so good. Uh, and then also there is the uh, deadline dark, which is uh, very good when you are staying up late at night, burning the candle at both ends, trying to meet your deadlines. Uh, check out one, check out a mall, or uh, order one time, or set it up for automatic shipping each month but make sure you click that link in the show notes to find out more about writer's block coffee lastly i want to thank my friends at pop goes the culture network home to about 10 other incredible shows all of them fun all of them pop culture related and uh, so much good stuff to listen to so if you are a fan of 70s 80s 90s pop cultural trivia if you like uh, following along with movie and celebrity news uh, that's current Uh, any of that kind of stuff, then make sure you are following one or several of the shows over there at the network. Just click that link in the show notes to find out more. All right, well, without further ado, let's hop on over to my interview with the wonderfully talented Jason Rakuli. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the show. Uh, This week, I'm very excited. I got a guy with a very cool name, uh, another Jason for you. So you know he's going to be a good writer. Well, (laughs) one of us is. I'll put it that way. I think it's probably my guest. Uh, But yeah, Jason Rakulik is my guest today. Jason is the author of Hidden Pictures, which is coming out soon, or just came out actually, and The Impossible Fortress, which was a finalist for the Edgar Award. Uh, For many years, he was a publisher of Quirk Books, an indie press headquartered in Philadelphia, where he ghost wrote many odd books that may or may not surface on on the pages ahead. Today, Jason is an active member of the Writers Guild East and Mystery Writers of America. He still lives in West Philly with his wife and children and way too many pets. Ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome to the show, Jason Rakulik. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. And uh, yeah, great first name. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're my first Jason on the show.
1: <laughs> oh, well, we're probably about the same age. I think there was a wave of us right around 1971. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes,
0: that's about right. <laughs> yep. I know I had a couple years later, I remember asking my mom, like, Man, why didn't you name me Luke? Luke would have been a better name. Right,
1: yeah, yeah. everybody wanted to be Luke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you got
0: Luke Skywalker, you got Bo and Luke Duke. Yeah, like, I mean, come on. She just kind of shook her head. She was like, nope. Oh, well. Uh, so how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great.
1: I'm doing and, great. Yeah. Uh, good, good. And I, I understand you are a, a full-time stay-at-home writer as well. I am now, I worked in publishing for a long time, um, mostly for, not, not traditional publishing, but I worked for an indie press uh, called Quirk Books. I was publisher there, um, and it started, it was just three people in a room, you know, and it, and it over 18 years, 20 years, um, it sort of grew to like 25 people in a building, you know? <laughs> um, and, it was interesting training because I w- I've always been writing, but I needed a way to pay the bills. And so, uh, when, when this company quirk started, I was, I didn't know what else I was going to do. I didn't have any other skills. I was like, this business has to work. Like we have to make money. Um, we, cause this is, you know, otherwise I'm going to trader Joe's. I don't know what I was going to do, you know? <laughs> um, so it was, uh, I don't know that it's the right training grounds for everybody, but it was really, I, I learned a lot, you know, um, mm-hmm. you end up pitching a lot of books in that job as the publisher, you're always trying to sell books to people and and book selling is such a useful, useful thing for a writer to do. Cause yeah. you know, um, cause everyone, you're, if you're writing, I mean, you, you, there's going to be people selling your book all the time. And if you can make that job easy for them, <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll love you for it. So yeah.
0: That was the, uh, when I first started this show five years ago, my initial reaction, uh, like on even on day one, I was like, Oh, no, I'm gonna just focus on indie authors, because uh, we're the ones struggling and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I quickly realized, I think within an episode or two, like, what a mistake that was going to be. Um, although I want to, I want to have that platform for independent authors. I realized also, that there's a lot of Traditional authors who are in the same boat. I mean, they they got the deal, but who's going to buy it? And how do they? You know, they're also just telling mom and dad and their friend across the street. You know, hey, I wrote a book and it's published, yeah. but you know, who's going to buy it? And how it's, tough to yeah. it's tough
1: for everybody. Yeah, for everybody. I mean, like apart from like you know the the John Grishams or whoever, where you know they've already climbed yeah. that mountain and they have their base. But you know, there are so many authors who will have like a big splashy debut and then you'll never hear from them again and that's the norm you know that's most people you know they, they can't sell their second book because the first book didn't do well enough um that's super common um and uh you know indie authors I mean I you know I'm at Flatiron which is part of Macmillan and I know the authors they're struggling with the same things. They're still looking at their Amazon rankings obsessively. They're still <laughs> yeah. afraid to look at Goodreads because the you know the one star reviews are gonna be brutal. They're gonna be like personal attacks. I mean mm-hmm. it's uh, it's tough business. It's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. That's one of the things I recommend to a lot of the newbies I talk to is like just you know develop a thick skin and understand it's not personal.
1: You You're know, not- it's interesting. I I you hear that phrase all the time. And you do need a thick skin, but I also feel like part of what makes you a good writer is that you are thin skinned, you know, Mm. and that you're very empathetic. Like you, you're very, you're very sensitive, you know, and you're picking up on like these things and that's what makes you good. So it's, it's kind of hard to like, (laughs) you're absolutely right. But you know, like that's, that's why we are so vulnerable, you know, (laughs) because. You know,
0: um, that's interesting. You said that I was just talking with somebody, another author the other day about empathy and to my point first was that yeah you got to be able to not take the the judgment of your work so harsh but still look for a kernel of truth and you know it's like if you're hearing it multiple times you know you got to examine that right uh but then uh with the empathy yeah we were discussing that it's like yeah i mean writers have got to get deep and and you've got to have that empathy because even with your villains if you don't understand the villains behavior and why they're doing something then you have nothing more than the the classic villain twisting his mustache (laughs) i'm just gonna run you over with a train and well, you're absolutely right
1: i mean the villain doesn't think he's a villain (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know like he he, he's the hero of his own story yeah uh, otherwise it is just he's just got the mustache and he's tying a woman to the train tracks
0: right yeah little did we know growing up that vader just hated sam (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh so uh what was that like uh for so many years working in it you said you were there for like 20 years or so in this uh, independent company and then about 10 years ago you had the big boom uh with people discovering amazon and the indie push that started and all that what was that like going through going through that
1: yeah i mean it was um challenging, but it actually, you know, if you were a young up and coming company with no history, it was actually good for you because, you know, the the rules of the industry are being rewritten in this moment. So suddenly, in a way, everyone is being put on the equal playing field, you know, like all all of the old connections are becoming irrelevant. So in a way, like it was like the industry was starting over again and everyone was trying to figure it out at once. So, you know, that actually worked to our advantage. Um, I think we were able to like succeed faster than we could have. If, if the rules in the old system had just stayed in place that whole time, you know, cause we're yeah. never going to catch up to like random house or Simon and Schuster. Not that we ever did, but um, you know, we were able to take advantage of, well, you know, it's like that analogy everybody makes about, you know, if you have a tiny ship, you can turn a tiny ship much faster than like a big cruise liner. You, you know what uh, I mean? If yeah. ebooks are now a thing, and we have to pivot and Borders goes out of business and we have to pivot as a company of 20 people. You're really nimble. You can pivot faster than Simon & Schuster or Collins
0: sure.
1: um, We could pivot tomorrow, <laughs> you know? We don't, we don't yeah. have to fire people or hire people or, or whatever, you know? Um, so, um, so it was super exciting. And I, I, it's funny, I miss it because, you know, now that I'm writing full-time, I use one part of my brain A lot exclusively. But when I had that job, it was a business. So I was using all different kinds of skills. I used like people skills, money skills, math. I do math, Mm -hmm. Um, business, salesmanship, you know. And that was really satisfying. And I kind of missed that part of it. Like I liked, you know, um, it did a lot of different things. So it was always, you know, I always felt really good at the end of the day. Sure. Yeah,
0: no, I can relate to that. I I managed a theater for a couple of years and discovered how much I really enjoyed that. Yeah, um, not just the day to day running the theater and going in and, and you know, making people happy uh, coming in to see a movie, but also the uh, the promotions and the marketing behind a movie. And and find I had no idea that theaters competed against each other in these marketing campaigns to try and make something up and so I'm building like the the deck of the enterprise for Star Trek and uh, all sorts of different things and man it was such a blast to come up with creative ideas and that was my output for several years and I kind of pushed any attempts I'd had at that time uh, for writing just kind of pushed that aside it was like I'm having so much fun with this
1: sounds like a blast you know I always wish I worked in a movie theater when I was a kid that was the job I wanted more than anything Yeah, I I worked in a McDonald's, but I was so jealous of the people who work in the movie theaters. (laughs) And uh, I think it would be so much fun.
0: Yeah, it was it was really good. I had a good time with it. Um, Left because we uh, my wife was in the military at the time. And that's when I was managing it. And then we we transferred to Japan. So left that. And then whenever we came back uh, a couple of years ago, I went ahead and went back into it as a a backup job, a second job uh, working Mm -hmm. nights and. Just selling popcorn just cleaning theaters and not as much fun but still a little mm-hmm. bit of fun anyway but yeah it i i looked forward to it, it was it was good but by then i was writing uh, and making a concerted effort to do so yeah so how did you how about you how did you make that switch from from working with authors to yeah becoming one yourself
1: well it was never really a switch i mean i was always writing I sort of had like this epiphany when I was 19 that I I had to start writing like every day if I was going to get any good. And so I've always done it. Um, I wrote a lot of bad books that are like under my bed, you know, it took me a long time to figure out. I I just made a lot of mistakes and I was, I was pretty shy about it. Like I didn't tell people what I was doing. So I probably didn't take advantage of like opportunities of people who might've helped me because I was like too insecure to like say I even wanted to do it. So I never had anyone helping me, which probably slowed me down, you know, because I was so insecure about it. Um, So I probably have like four or five books that, you know, were either just complete messes or severely flawed, you know? (laughs) And and what helped me, I think, tremendously along the way was once um, the company I worked for started doing fiction, and I started having conversations with authors about what was wrong with their books, mm-hmm. um, that really helped me zero in pretty quickly on like, you know, um, what elements a novel needed to be successful and why you looked at so many bad ones, you know? like those, yeah. those were instructive in a way. So, but I mean, again, like this all happened over, my first book came out in 2017. Um, and I was, so, so, you know, that was probably like 26 years. I mean, it sounds crazy. 26 years into writing like <laughs> at night, um, you, you know, or getting up early on the weekends. Um, and, uh, but I don't know. I just, I, it sounds crazy when I think about it now, you know,
0: <laughs> but, um, oh, but you, you stuck it out. And, and followed through the, I think a lot of authors, I know a lot of the authors I've talked to on the show. <clears throat> I think there's there's one or two here and there that have been writing. Their first book was over 10 years. Uh, myself, I mean, mine was eight years mm-hmm. in, in the works uh, before it finally came out. Um, but I mean, I think we all have that one from way back when, I, I mean, I'm in my own mind, as you were talking about, I'm thinking of one from 90, six i had an idea for and still to this day i'm like i'd like to get back to that idea one of these days. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i've got a notebook that's about half filled with the characters the plot uh what i want to do with it and i know most of it's probably not going to work anymore yeah. but you know it'd be fun to get back to one of these days too and and that'd be that'd be fun to go okay so 96 and it's uh 22 now okay yeah. It'll it'd be fun to say like yeah this is uh who knows thirty years by the time I get get to it if I ever get back to it so
1: right 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 yeah maybe well
0: but uh, still I mean it's it's good to have that there and that with this book you you
1: stuck it out now was that uh, impossible fortress yeah impossible fortress is twenty seventeen um and that was a tricky book to write a follow up to because it was sort of a coming of age novel. Set in the '80s, I wrote it right before Stranger Things came on TV, and I was definitely trying to go for like a Stranger Things kind of vibe without the supernatural element. But I just wanted the book to be like infused in like '80s pop culture. Yeah. Um. And, but then it was, you know, publishing. There's this pressure to like stay in your lane. You know, once you have a book come out and and build your audience, and I was like, well, how do I do that? You know, like how do I, like I wrote a coming of age novel. I can't write another coming of age novel. But what else is like coming-of-age novel yeah so I actually um spent like a year and a half maybe two years writing this epic massive book that nobody wanted (laughs) (laughs) and it was it, it, it it's really painful and like it's a there's a flaw with the book but there's parts of it that I just love, you know, parts of it I think are just like fantastic, but there probably were like one or two hurdles that were gonna make it not commercial and you just would not be able to make this book work. And so that was kind of crushing, Um, especially since at that point I'd already quit my job. (laughs) So, (laughs) So then I was thinking, okay, I've got to, I wanna write for an audience, you know? And and so I started thinking about what do I like? And I've always loved suspense. I've always loved thrillers. I'm a huge like Alfred Hitchcock fan. Most of the authors I like are writing like thriller realm, mystery, crime, horror. And so I was like, I'm just gonna do that. Like, I'm just gonna do one of those. Cause like, if I have to pick a lane, let me pick a lane where like, I would feel comfortable staying for like, hopefully five or seven or 10 books, you know? um and um so that was sort of the decision that led me down the road toward um hidden pictures um, which which i ended up writing in like 2020 and it just came out a month ago
0: wow but that's cool and that that's got quite the uh quite the story to it i was reading a little bit about it with the uh the fresh out of rehab, Mallory Quinn, uh, you know, finding this job as a sitter and then what's going on with the kid that she's starting to discover or starting to babysit. And uh, (laughs) there's a whole lot. I'm trying to like dance around it without uh, spoiling anything, even though uh, there's some really ideal things going on that really makes you raise an eyebrow. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell us, tell us some more about it.
1: Yeah, well, so, um, well, so the the other thing that went into the book was when I, when I worked at this, this there's a very, very long answer to your question. Um, (laughs) When I worked at this publishing house, one of the things we realized that we could do, we could, we had a lot of, we had a hard time finding authors to send us their manuscripts um, because we were working with like pretty limited budgets and um, agents didn't want anything to do with us. And so most of our authors tended to be like indie authors, first-time authors, um, inexperienced authors, sometimes occasionally not very good (laughs) authors, you know, Um, or authors whose writing hadn't quite, you know, gotten to the point of being like publishable. And But I realized one advantage we had was we had really good designers and I started encouraging us to work like visual elements in the book. So like, for example, one of the novels we did, well, the most famous novel we did was a book called Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. I don't know if you've ever seen yeah. that book. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: yeah, I've heard of that,
1: that. that guy came to me. Uh, his name was Ransom Riggs. He had a collection of these old photos of these kids from, and they were real photos from like the early 20th century. And the kids just look weird. They look creepy because they're dressed like little adults with their top hats and their monocles and, <laughs> uh, and they've got like weird dolls. And he wanted it to just be an art book. And in talking about it over like the course of a year, kept adding more words to it. First, he was going to write these little rhyming couplets under each photo. There's like little poems, like little Edward Gorey things. And, but I kept asking him for more story. I'm like, who are these kids? Do they know each other? Do they live together maybe, you know? And then one day I said to him, look, I think I want, I thought this was going to be an art book with a little bit of text, but I was like, I think I want this to be a novel with a little bit of art. Yeah. I think we need to flip it. And he's like, yeah, I want that too. I've just been like afraid to say it, you know, like, (laughs) because I've never (laughs) written a novel before, you know, you got to do it. And that book, it's the best of my knowledge. I mean, there's now like six books in the series, but I think the first one when I left that job had sold 15, one, books you know and it is just a beautifully designed book Um, the photos look great the end papers look great and I took the lessons of that to like a lot of other books like we did a book that was set in a haunted Ikea and it looks like an Ikea catalog you know and it uses like the blue and white Ikea colors and like the Futura Ikea font um, which is anyone can use that and so I had this idea of doing um, I had these two illustrators that I wanted to work with. I was like, we should collaborate on some kind of project. You guys would do the pictures, I'll write the words. And I had this idea of someone, some kind of character who starts, whose illustrations start improving. And I couldn't really figure out what the story was. And I probably spent like three or four months trying to figure out what it was. And then eventually I landed on this idea that there was this five-year-old boy who was drawing pictures as five-year-old boys tend to do, you know, if you ever have little kids, you know, like they're drawing, con- a lot of them, you know, the ones who are artists, they draw constantly. You've got pictures all over your house, stacks yes. of paper. And at first his pictures are pretty like benign, like rabbits and normal kid stuff. But then he starts drawing like, you know, a man dragging a woman through a forest, you know, or, or someone burying a body. And <laughs> his nanny is like, you know, where are these pictures coming from? What is going on here?
0: Right.
1: And um, And the parents are kind of like, you know, he's got a beautiful mind, gifted imagine. Obviously the child's gifted, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And Baby said, I was like, I don't think he's gifted. I think something really weird is happening here. And what I think is fun about the book is that all the art that she finds is reproduced in the book. And so you can sort of play detective alongside of her. Like every time she finds an image, the text stops, we show the image and you're allowed to study it. And because it's a book, know this happens in horror movies all the time, Mm -hmm. and they only show the image for like a flash of a second. You know, I'm always I was one of like I grab my remote and I pause it because I like to look at the art. I like to look at (laughs) the weird kid art. Yeah, but with this book, you can linger over it and study it and try to figure out what's going on. And there's like little clues hidden in the illustrations if you're paying attention. Um, and so there's a there's a bit of a mystery to it. There's a supernatural element. she thinks maybe the kid is like channeling some kind of spirit that's helping him draw these pictures um and uh and you know a lot of suspense and a thriller so, so long very answer cool. to question but it, it's a very visual book with uh i think there's like 75 pages of illustrations but they're all organic to the story they're all part of the plot they're not decorative illustrations
0: okay That's awesome though. That's awesome.
1: And is this going to be like
0: part of a series then? You were talking about, you made this like giant book.
1: No, I don't think so. Um, I think it's a standalone, Um, but I love, I like, well, I'm really interested in the idea of, I'm surprised more books don't have pictures in them. (laughs) Yeah. Like, because if you just think about how we're consuming stories now, everyone's, looking at their phones everyone's looking at their screens there's so much like visual eye candy on the internet and books you know tend to be kind of the same way they've looked for for 200 years now you know um yeah and so I think this is an interesting opportunity um I don't think it's gimmicky I think there's a way to you know some of my favorite books especially when I was a kid you know like if a book had a map in it I love those maps you know yeah and, i was reading like lord of the rings or something like that like i love to pour over those maps and i don't think there's anything like cheap or stupid about it like i don't think it's just for kids like i think um, you know the charles dickens his books used to be illustrative you go back to like victorian times you know mm-hmm. this was normal you know at some point it became a juvenile thing but it used to be um considered you know worthy of like adult.
0: and i think i think you're right i think i think it's coming back a little bit like i remember growing up and one of my my favorite series to read was uh, Dragonlance. oh yeah yeah every chapter had an incredible picture there that usually had something to do with that uh, chapter ahead or what's going on and oh man i just i love those i would sometimes i'd even copy them and make blow them up a little bit bigger or uh had the calendars with the, the incredible art But I always loved that, and it's all those books, and I ended up collecting them again as an adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so I could have them and reread them, and then picked up some of the audio last year, which was fun to hear some of the names. Like, oh, that's how you say it.
1: That's how you say it.
0: Right. Oh, okay. If I'd have known that 40 years ago, (laughs) that I've been saying it right all this time. (laughs) Uh, But that I mean, you know, those were a blast to have that art, and it just it fills in that gap, adds to the imagination of okay, that's what this looks like. And mm-hmm. then you're going forward and and now you know what the uh, uh, draconians are looking like uh, and, uh, and so on. And, and I think, uh, so that's a cool aspect then that you're adding something like that into your book. Uh, you know, I think people were, I, I don't know, the more I keep, uh, more authors I talk to, the more I'm hearing about, um, art being inserted in yeah. here and there. Um, i talked to a graphic artist which i mean that's kind of the other end of the spectrum but there was somebody recently i just talked to who they are looking into some of the visual media of writing stories into little uh like cartoons Mm -hmm. uh there's websites where you can actually uh, create your own well they have a, a wealth of Characters, scenes, and other or scenery and whatever, and then you build your story around that, and then you can tell your own story, and then people can watch that and oh, cool. uh, purchase it, and, and almost like a moving comic book.
1: Uh, yeah, something.
0: and I could see something like that coming coming to pass over time, almost like short films.
1: Yeah, listen, it's the wild west right now. I mean, there's new formats for. It seems like every three years there's some new thing, whether it's you know right now it's TikTok, And then before that it was podcasts and, you know, it was, mm-hmm. so who knows what's coming down the pike.
0: Well, speaking of new formats, I've got, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention real quick back on uh, impossible fortress, the video game tie-in.
1: Oh yeah. And
0: I i spent a little time earlier today, just kind of like <laughs> playing around with that. Got um, my name up on your board. Oh, nice. All right. Yeah. So <laughs> I, was, I got up on the sixth place uh-huh. and, believe me i the 80s kid me was like okay let's play again so i can get my name a little higher uh-huh. up on there and and i was like oh wait no i gotta i gotta start making lunch here for too long
1: but yeah that was cool how did that come about well so you know the book is about these two teenagers who are creating this video game together called the impossible fortress uh, it's about a lot more than that but um you know i think that was the publisher and me just thinking well it would be really cool if you could play this game for real, you Mm. know, actually, well, here's the first idea. This was a bad idea. Um, Sometimes you have to have the bad idea before you have the good idea. I wanted to, I I don't know. So when I was a teenager, I had a Commodore 64 and like, I would get these magazines that would come with computer code. And if you typed in all the computer code, it took hours. If you typed in all the code, you'd end up with this really simple rudimentary game. Mm -hmm. And so And that is like the sort of world of the book. That's the era of the novel. It's like these kids are just, you know, these dorks are like sitting home on Friday night, just typing in, you know, these basic and assembly language programs, um, which is what I did when I was a teenager. And I initially wanted to have all that code in the book so that you could type it into a Commodore 64 emulator and play it yourself. But then I was like, at some point it dawned on me, you know, you're writing, you're not thinking about stuff. And at some point I I just stepped back and like, you're the only person who has a Commodore 64 <laughs> emulator. You know, most readers <laughs> don't have this. So what you need to do, and the game is gonna be really lame by today's standards. So what I ended up doing was finding someone who knew how to program today's machines. And I said, look, I want you to make a game that feels, it should look and feel like it came from that world. Um, and it has to sort of match the parameters of the game described in the book. And there was this guy named Dan Viquito and um and his wife and they worked together on it and they you know they had a lot of fun with it and it was it was it was really a blast to to watch that thing come together Uh, (laughs) i'm not sure how successful it was like as a marketing vehicle i think i thought more people would try it than actually did but the people who like the people who love it really love it yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) well it was it was great a great tie-in and it was you know i i so, you know, on, to be honest I, I just put it on easy so that way i could just give it a shot but yeah. it was so cool to have that little tie-in to complete it and then for it to pop up afterwards and say hey share your score with your friends on yeah. twitter facebook whatever so I, I was like okay yeah i'm gonna do that here on my i did my author twitter page like hey everybody uh-huh. I just i just played this game with this guy i'm gonna interview later on so you got to check this out and then that's my, cool. The Facebook page for the uh, for the show, so everybody listening, you know, you can click the link in the show notes for Jason's website. But if you're following us on Facebook, you've already seen this post, hopefully, and you can click in there and and go play the game and try it out. But it was it's it's fun for a few moments. Does it work on mobile? Do you know,
1: no, it doesn't. That's the thing. It's it's you know when we so we made this game like five years ago, and you know, so phones were becoming like sort of dominant form of like computers. But I was like. I wanted to try to replicate like the commodore 64 experience as much as possible so i'm like all right well one of the few parameters is you're gonna have to be in front of a keyboard you got to be in front of a a, a laptop or a desktop um because they just didn't have touch screens back then so um so that was a that was a compromise we made i may not Hmm. i I know there are countless people who've tried to play it on their phones and they're disappointed and so (laughs) that may have been a misstep on my part but uh, I just felt like for purposes of like fidelity and trying to make it feel like a game from 1987 it couldn't be played on a touchscreen. that would just be weird
0: yeah yeah and that's fine that's that's good yeah if anybody's wanting something for the, your uh you know, a good throwback to the old days I know there's a uh, Zork is available on your phone and oh, that's yeah. oh my gosh I don't know how many nights you were talking about playing on your Commodore at night yeah I don't know how many nights I spent with my friends drawing out our maps, like, wait, we went yep. east and that's where the dragon was. Okay, crap. Got no, Jason, <laughs> I have
1: all the. games. I, I still have the boxes, um, oh my I, I have all those. You can get emulators for all those. You can play them free online. You know, all the Infocom games are up. Oh, um, wow. And uh, there's also a really good podcast uh, that I like called "Eaten by a Guru, where these two guys just, <laughs> really, really <laughs> you would love it. They review each game and it's full of spoilers like the first half they don't spoil anything and then there's like a spoiler fence that they go over and they talk about the hardest puzzles and what they struggled with and um (laughs) it's awesome oh my gosh I'll have to check it out so what are you working on now uh well right now I'm working on another uh thriller because I'm going to stay in my suspense lane and um I think it's going to be a book without pictures because I feel like that's just sort of again, I'm trying to think like a publisher. I feel like this is like a smart move for me. Like I can't just be like the pictures guy. I've got to do like, but I can stay in this category um, and deliver another um, thriller uh, that is, I don't want to really pitch it yet because it's still like early days. Um, But there's a couple of common denominators to hidden pictures and a lot that is like new. So I feel like it's a good balance of familiar and new challenges
0: okay kind of sounds like it's it's in that world just not like a, a sequel not there but
1: yeah no yeah world. completely unrelated different all different characters different setting um very limited time frame this book is going to take place over a single weekend um mm. but super super early days I, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually working on a big outline of it right now so uh trying to figure it all out
0: very cool. Well, you have to let us know when it's ready so that way we can help uh, get word out about it and, and uh, let everybody know that uh, your new book's ready. Uh, meanwhile, where can people find and follow you?
1: Uh, so my website uh, R-E-K-U-L-A-K. <laughs> Um R-E-K-U-L-A-K I'm on Instagram. I do most of the social media stuff on Instagram. I don't do Twitter. I sort of half-heartedly do Facebook. Um, I'm not on TikTok. Um, so Instagram is where, and that's just my name. So um, yeah. you can definitely follow me there.
0: All right, and we'll make sure to have links for all that in the show notes. Jason, thank you so much for uh, for joining me on the show, man. This has been a blast. I, I have a feeling we could probably there's a lot of topics we could probably go on and on and about for quite some time. Yeah, uh, but I need to uh, let you get back to your day, and uh, I know the uh, the listening audience is awaiting uh, this uh, sample reading. So thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. All right, ladies and gentlemen, time for me to step aside with my cup of writer's block coffee and uh, listen to our guest, Jason Rakulik with Hidden Pictures.
1: All right, uh, I'm just going to preface my uh, excerpt pretty briefly. This is a scene from um, chapter two. All you really need to know uh, before I start reading is that uh, there's a young woman named Mallory. She's from uh, South Philly. She comes from like a blue collar kind of background. And she's had a troubled past. We don't know exactly what's gone wrong for her, but um, she's going out to this very nice, very affluent suburb called Springbrook um, to work, uh, to, well, to, be, to be interviewed for a job as a nanny um, there's a family, uh, a mom and dad with a five-year-old boy named Teddy. They've been in Barcelona for two years, but they've just come back to the United States and they're looking for a nanny to watch Teddy for the summer. And uh, prior to the scene, you know, Mallory, the babysitter, she's interviewed by the mother and the mother says uh, something like, hey, let's go, let's go sit down with Teddy, see how you two get along. And so that is the scene. The child is sprawled on the rug with a spiral bound pad and some yellow number two pencils. At my arrival, he looks up and flashes a mischievous smile, then immediately returns to his artwork. Well, hello there, Teddy. Are you drawing a picture? He gives his shoulders a big exaggerated shrug, still too shy to answer me. Honey, sweetheart, Caroline says, Mallory just asked you a question. Again, Teddy shrugs, then he moves his face closer to the drawing until his nose is practically touching the paper, like he's trying to disappear inside it. Then he reaches for a pencil with his left hand. Oh, I see you're a lefty, I tell him. Me too. It's a common trait in world leaders, his mother says. Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, Ronald Reagan, they were all left-handed. Teddy maneuvers his body so I can't see over his shoulders. I can't see what he's working on. I'll tell you a funny story, Caroline says. The whole time we lived in Barcelona, we couldn't get Teddy to pick up a pencil. We bought him markers, finger paints, watercolors. He showed no interest in art. But the moment we moved back to the States and move into this house, suddenly he's Pablo Picasso. Now he draws like crazy. Caroline lifts the top of the coffee table, and I see it doubles as some kind of storage chest. She removes a sheaf of paper that's an inch thick. My husband teases me for saving everything, but I can't help myself. Would you like to see? Oh, definitely, I tell her. Down on the floor, Teddy's pencil has stopped moving. His entire body is tensed up. I can tell that he's listening carefully, that he's focusing all of his attention on my reactions. Ooh, this first one is really nice, I tell Caroline. Is this a horse? Yes, I think so. No, 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 Teddy says, springing off the floor and moving to my side. That's a goat because he has horns on his head, see? And a beard. Horses don't have beards. Then he leans into my lap and turns the page, directing my attention to the next drawing. Soon Teddy is relaxing my arms and resting his head on my chest. I feel like I'm cradling a large puppy. His body is warm and he smells like laundry that's fresh out of the dryer. Caroline sits off to the side, watching us interact, and she seems pleased. The drawings are all pretty standard kid stuff lots of animals, lots of smiley faced people on sunny days. Teddy studies my reaction to every picture and he soaks up my praise like a sponge. And at this point, I'm going to interrupt my reading. I'm just going to show you what happens in the book. Um, I mentioned the book is interspersed with illustrations. This is a great example. So at this scene, the text stops and we get to sort of join Mallory in looking at these pictures. So the first thing we see is like full page of Teddy's goat. And then you turn the page and you're in the stack of drawings with her. There's the weeping willow tree that Teddy talked about. We see two birds in a bird bath. Turn the page, there's two more pictures. There's a boy with a teddy bear. There's a boy with a rabbit. And turn the page again, there's a boy with a kind of like wraith. It looks like a tall woman with long dark hair. And these are all illustrated like a five-year-old drew them. So it's it's done like in a pretty unnerving, unsettling style. You see the pictures and then we just Jump right back into the story. Caroline seems surprised to find this last picture in the stack. I meant to set this one aside, she says, but now she has no choice but to explain it. This is Teddy and his um, special friend. Anya, Teddy says, her name is Anya. Right, Anya, Caroline says, winking at me, encouraging me to play along. We all love Anya because she plays with Teddy while mommy and daddy are working. I realize Anya must be some kind of weird imaginary playmate, so I try to say something nice. I bet it's great having Anya around, especially if you're a little boy in a new town and you haven't met the other children yet. Exactly. Caroline is relieved that I- the situation so quickly. That's exactly right. Is Anya here now? Is she in the room with us? Teddy glances around the den and returns to his drawing. No. Where is she? I don't know. Will you see her later tonight? I see her every night, Teddy says. She sleeps under my bed so I can hear her singing.
0: All right, there you go, everyone. That was Jason Rakulik reading a sample chapter from his uh, latest book, Hidden Pictures. That book and Jason's website, everything about Jason, is all available in the show notes. So click those links down there so you can find out more and follow him uh get over to his website and check out that video game Uh, don't forget to also check out our sponsors affiliates and podcast friends and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out next week when we're back with a brand new author an all-new book and a brand new sample chapter take care everybody we're going to see you again real real soon